0: Hi, I'm Alul. Sup, Ambu? Yeah, I'm Alual. This is the voice of Canberra Youth.
1: And this is the voice of Multicultural
0: Youth. The show about multiculturalism, diversity, sharing experiences,
1: and achieving goals. Stay tuned for our wonderful interviews and good music for you to enjoy. You are listening to the Multicultural Youth Program on 2
2: Live Thursday, 6-7pm. till
1: Hi guys, welcome to 98.3. This is the Multicultural Youth Program. It's about diversity, multiculturalism, achieving goals, and sharing experiences. Uh, we're going to be interviewing a Tim today and Stephen. Steven. Uh, they're uh, they're the both people that we're going to interview. Hi guys, welcome back to 98.3. You're listening to the Multicultural Youth Program. Um, we're interviewing a Tim right now. Um, Tim, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Like, introduce yourself.
3: Um, My name is Atem Atem. Um, I originally came from Sudan, and uh, I lived in Canberra on and off, but I'm in Canberra (laughs) now.
1: Um, Can you tell us a a story about Sudan? Like, how it was? How did it feel? Like, more information.
3: I uh, left Sudan when I was a kid. Um, I was... 12 when I left Um, and what I remember is that it was um, a really very nice life really because I um, my family lived in uh, Khartoum and uh, my dad used to work in Saudi Arabia and uh, you know he had good money and all that sort of thing so life was really good and I used to play with kids who were northern Sudanese who were Arabs who were different from me and so it was you know playing with them and coming home and you know uh, that sort of thing. So that that that's how I I remember life. Then, did you grow up in Sudan? Like I said, I lived in Sudan till I was twelve, and then after that, left to Ethiopia, and then came to Kenya, and now I'm here. Um,
0: how lo- How old were you when you left Sudan? Uh, twelve. Twelve. Oh yeah.
4: <laughs> and you, uh, so you said, growing up, you there were both mm-hmm. Arab and um, and I guess African communities. What was... Um, are, are they the, the two main main communities that make up Sudan? Um, yes,
3: Su- Sudan is made up of many, many, many groups of people, but mainly in the north there are groups of people who generally call themselves Arabs, uh, and then there is the south where people are generally Africans. So so there is that difference, cultural differences. Uh, the north is more... Arabic and Muslim, whereas in the south it was really african and whatever religion <laughs> mm.
4: yeah and is is that is that difference mainly uh, as you said kind of religion and language based or? uh yeah, yeah yeah yeah, pretty much
3: um
4: you know in the south,
3: there are so many religions in the north it's mainly uh the Muslim religion, and so there was that uh for me when I was growing up. Uh, I went to a a school that was taught in Arabic. Uh, The official language was Arabic, and I was taught Islam, the Quran itself, and we had to memorize, you know, verses and stuff like that. And I would go with my friends to the mosque, you know, just play as kids and just go to the mosque and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So to me, there was that, you know, being a Muslim and being Arab was a normal thing uh, Mm -hmm. because Khartoum was generally the the population was arabic and so arabic language was spoken and so so to me when, growing up there it was it's normal to be different mm-hmm. it's always you know different people different cultures different religions to me it wasn't there was no conflict i didn't know about the war or what was going on but to me it was that was life
0: right. so, how old um, when you came to australia um
3: i came to australia when i was 28 And so, like you said last
1: time, so how long did it take for you to come to Australia? Because you said you started at 12?
3: Right. Uh, At 12, I had to go to Ethiopia, and that's when the war had already started. And because my dad was involved in the war somehow, uh, the politics of the war, and he was in Saudi Arabia, and he decided it was time to go and join the soldiers in the bush, so we ended up coming to Ethiopia and lived in refugee camps in Ethiopia. Mm. Uh, and lived there for like seven years, and then we had to leave because at the time it wasn 't safe anymore, and we crossed into Sudan as we went to Kenya, so we went to Kenya and then you know mm. um are you studying in in canberra now uh yeah, yeah, I do. I study at the a n u and i 'm currently doing a research project looking at the settlement of Sudanese families in western Sydney mm.
1: um so, about what you said about the war, um, how did it affect your family?
3: Like, did it affect you, everything? Uh, it, it did. When, when the war started, like I said, I was in Khartoum mm-hmm. uh, and the war started in southern Sudan. Now, in southern Sudan, I had a lot of relatives. Yes. like the extended family, and a lot of people were displaced. Now, my dad was sort of involved in the politics of the war. Yes. Uh, he didn't initially fight the war, but he ended up going to Ethiopia, got trained, and then he decided that we go to Ethiopia. So mm-hmm. that's how we ended up going, going to Ethiopia. So the war has affected us in Khartoum. I, I, I had the stories of, you know, people being you know rounded up by the police for no reason just because they are African Sudanese people being discriminated upon mm. uh so things like that did happen at the time uh and then we left before it really got bad and before a lot of people actually moved from southern Sudan to Khartoum mm. oh,
1: okay.
4: and these 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 are uh issues that are still continuing today are they
3: uh yeah yeah i mean in 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 Sudan today i understand uh in in northern Sudan, there is the Sharia law, so that's the sh- the law of the land. So if you were not a Muslim, uh, it didn't matter. You were you were expected to obey that law, mm-hmm. and so, and I understand people suffer, you know, mm-hmm. uh, discrimination, and people have no right. For for anything really they are second-class citizens like they live in displaced camps in their own country mm. and it's really the u.n that is looking after them so there is poverty there is destitution there are you know kids don't go to school or if they did go to school they went to really poor poor schools so mm. that sort of thing so people are still suffering mm. um tell us what's
0: the tell us about Ethiopia what's the different?
3: um in Ethiopia, it's a, it's an interesting place. When I was a kid, uh, it was in a refugee camp in western um, Ethiopia. And um, the, the thing with it was I was a kid and, you know, moving from living in cities and good life and suddenly into a refugee camp, that transition was interesting because I remember the first time we got there, we jumped off the buses and there was flood, like it was floody and muddy and, you know, the whole place was made up of... Uh, houses were made of grass and that sort of thing. Mm. And so it was really interesting. And, but the camp was very militarized. There mm. were a lot of weapons and a lot yeah. of people who were soldiers. And actually, at the time, I don't know what they told the UN, but it was actually a camp that was a refugee camp, but was the first place where when recruits got from Sudan to Ethiopia, they stayed there for three months or something like that to get strong and then they go for training and then they join the army and fight the war so there was a, a lot of you know mm. guns and shooting and all that so mm. it was well, scary sometimes can you tell us more about the refugee camp like does it support your schools uh the, the, the refugee camp in ethiopia uh had a school uh, run by the UNHCR mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't a flashy school, but it was, it was quite a good school. Uh, I had to, when I was in Sudan, I studied Arabic up to year four, and then I had to come to Ethiopia, and then in Ethiopia I had to start from year one because they were teaching English, and oh, yeah. I didn't have any background in English, so I had to start from year one.
4: Now, now Mawell, you, you had a similar experience, didn't you? You, you said you... Um when you moved to sorry, when when you moved to Egypt, you had to start again learning Arabic and and do your schooling from uh, from scratch as well. Is that right? Um, probably yeah. For you? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Cause you know, I have to learn start all over again and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So how
1: did uh, Arabic affect your life? Because yeah, you already know your language, then you have to learn another language. Then you had to go to English. Was that a little bit too hard?
0: Yeah, and I almost forgot like my language, which is Dinka. I learn Arabic more than Dinka. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Actually, when, when, I, when I was a kid, it was the opposite. The first language that I really learned to speak was Arabic.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> and then when I went to Ethiopia, I had to start really learning, you know, my own mother tongue. It, I, I did understand the mother tongue then, but, you know, I wasn't speaking it fluently or anything. So I had to quickly learn to be fluent in, you know, Dinka. And then the Arabic started going. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, now I can't really speak. Arabic fluently, I can hear sometimes I can respond, but yeah,
4: you know. but but your mother tongue's stronger now, uh yeah, stronger yeah. than Arabic yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, so did like learning so many different languages every time did it affect learning English
3: um n- not really, I think the 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 idea of learning English was attractive my father spoke english Mm. and it was seen as the language of educated people and therefore (laughs) if you were going to be educated you have to learn english and so when we went to ethiopia it was the language that was taught then we had to learn it because that was what was taught so and coming to kenya uh, reinforced that because in kenya the uh, official language was english and the language of communication in schools in class was English, and therefore we actually had to learn English.
1: Mm. Where is about Kenya?
4: Yeah, when did you go there?
3: Ah, uh, ninety,
4: ninety-three. So how <laughs> old were you then? Eighteen, nineteen. Okay, oh, yeah. so I'm, I'm, for me, I'm just trying to put a picture together. So, yeah, yeah. So it when you be were, nineteen, so so take, so you were when you were twelve, you went to Ethiopia. Yeah, and then when you were eighteen nineteen,
3: 19 in, in Kenya to Kenya
4: yeah, and then how long were you in Kenya for until
3: two thousand and two okay yeah and so, yeah
1: so did you get an education in Kenya? yeah, I did um because like I hear from a lot of people, it costs money to go to go to schools and all that. Did you have to pay your own money to get education
3: um, I, I I think in Kenya sometimes you, you you have to work hard and not just Kenya everywhere yes. um, when I got to Kenya, there were uh, schools run by the UNSCR, uh, LWF, or whatever. But th- there were these schools that were just starting, and I joined these schools. Now, what happened was they were not good schools. they yes. were really, you know, substandard schools. But I worked really hard, and I, I did year seven and year eight. Year eight, like, is the last year of uh, primary education, and yeah. that's when you sit uh, the national exams, yeah. your primary national exams. I did that and I did really well. And because I did really well, uh, I got a scholarship to yeah. go and study outside the camp. So I did my secondary school outside the camp studying just because I really, really had to work hard to yeah. get a scholarship. Otherwise, I wouldn't have uh, afforded finishing primary school and going to a fancy secondary school <laughs> that was you know, a proper secondary school and live
0: there for four years before I came back to the camp. Yeah. So, In Kenya, why did you decide to... To study rather than work. There was no work. <laughs> well, there, there were there were
3: jobs, uh, teaching jobs. Um, there were jobs in the hospital, in clinics. Uh, there were jobs with uh, UNHCR, all those agencies. But I didn't have the skills, and so and I thought if I I could have gone and worked, did something. But I thought there's nothing going to be better than education mm. as in get that education and probably get a better job at the end instead of getting some manual job or something to do uh, decided probably studying is the best way to go and hopefully when I finish I become something better mm. so did this help you when you came to Australia it did it did very much I mean when I came to Australia within two weeks I went to uni <laughs> so it, it did help if I didn't have that background I wouldn't have done that mm.
0: yeah.
3: Yeah. So what are you studying in Australia now? Yeah. Um, like I said earlier uh, well I'll go back, when, when I came to uh, Canberra in 2002, within two weeks I went to uni and mm. I studied medical science mm. now medical science is a fancy name, it's supposed to be called medical laboratory science really because that's what I ended up doing um, but I, I did that for four years and when I finished I went to Dubbo to work mm. And I worked there for a year and a half and then came back to Canberra. Now, when I came back to Canberra, I worked at Canberra Hospital as what they called a medical scientist. A medical scientist is someone who just looks at, you know, blood and samples and analyze them and tell the doctor, look, we found this funny stuff or that. So... But then uh, last year I decided to go back to uni mm-hmm. because the work I was doing, I wasn't satisfied hmm. with it because yeah. it was more of a, you sit in front of a computer and there's a machine behind you and samples come through and then you have numbers you know on your screen, you push a button, they are gone to the doctor or you call the doctor. So to me, I wanted a job that is m- more human beings, more talking to people, doing things with people, that sort of thing. And so last year I did a... Masters in public policy by coursework, mm. uh, and that was really good. And then now I'm doing uh, a research project, mm-hmm. like I said earlier, looking at the settlement experiences of Sudanese families in Western Sydney. Mm. Huh. Yeah.
4: Um. Can you? No, I was going to say, look, what, what, before we talk about that, how about we go to some uh, go to some music, and we can come back, and you can tell us more about your, uh, your interesting project.
1: Hi, guys. Welcome back to Nine Eight Point Three. Uh, we're interviewing uh, Tim. Um, we're going to interview him about, like, asking about the project he does. Um, can you tell us like, the information about the project?
3: Um, I'm doing a, a research project at ANU. It's uh, a master by research, and it's a two-year project. And I'm looking at the settlement experiences of Sudanese families in Western Sydney. Uh, so that's, that's what I'm doing at the moment. Oh, awesome.
4: <laughs> so so tell, tell us more about that. Um, so why, why Western Sydney and, uh, and what exactly are you looking at with these communities? Um, it's Western Sydney because I've got in Canberra, I
3: could have done Canberra. Um, Canberra is a smaller population, but I know about every southern Sudanese in Canberra. Uh, and and, and some of them are related to me, so it's sort of awkward to, you know, do that. Mm. Uh, Sydney is a bigger population. Um, There are probably about 4,000 Sudanese there. Uh, And so, Mm. and I know a few people there, but, you know, it's it's quite a big population that, you know, uh, is good enough for me to go and find out what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And why doing that... uh, research project. Um I think that there is an, an, a need for for us to, to, to know what, what's the experiences of you know the, the Sudanese mm. in Australia. Um what happens is seven um, not seventy um ninety eight percent of the Sudanese who came to Australia came as refugees mm. and they come and they come and, and get into this program, uh, settlement program. Um, now, according to the Department of Immigration, the settlement program is aimed at helping new immigrants to settle, especially refugees, especially humanitarian entrants. And what happens is it's, it's a five-year program, and after that you don't get so much support. Uh, so in the first five years you get so much support to help you establish yourself, after that, you don't have so much support. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of Sudanese got to Australia uh, between uh, 2003 and 2008. Mm. Now, they are actually getting to the end of this five-year period. So Mm -hmm. the Sudanese community in Australia would very soon be out of what is called settling community. It's going to be a settled community, if I could say that. Um, and so, so during this period of time where you provide, where government provides services, where there's a lot of support, there is all that, now, what has been happening? Mm. Could, could we say that the Sudanese community coming, you know, about five, ten years ago, going through this process, what's their experience? Has it been a success? Can we say... Uh, it's a failure. Can we say something has to change mm. for the better for other people who would come and, you know, go through the same, you know, process? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there, there's a lot that would need to be said because uh, my experience is that it hasn't been so successful, mm. if I would say that. It hasn't been so well done, if I could say that. So this is the sort of thing I am looking at. So I'm looking at the experiences. I want to ask... Um, how can we evaluate this settlement program that is set up how do we say at the end of it that a certain group of people who went through this have actually done well mm. or haven't done well and what can we do better and then i'm also interested in other questions such as um the whole idea of uh integration social cohesion social integration yeah, you know yeah. like how do we say that you know these people have come and are actually integrating, are actually getting into the social fabric, becoming Australians, you know, issues of racism, issues of you know, things like that. This, these are the things I'm interested in to explore. Yeah.
2: So what are the challenges they face integrating
3: here? The challenges? Um, well, the, the challenges are, are many. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, l- l- let's just look at the background of the Sudanese community. 90 98% or so coming from a refugee background. Mm. That means these are people who have lived in refugee camps for a long time. I lived in refugee camps for like half of my life, mm. 15 years or more. Okay. Um, and so there is that background. Uh, we are a community that has been displaced by war. That's why we became refugees. So there are issues of, you know, loss and issues of grief and issues of trauma. Now, we come here... And we come into a different culture, completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, English is a very strange language to us. We have to learn the language. Um, there are issues of trauma that are not addressed. Uh, there are issues of unemployment. There are issues of racism. There are there are heaps of issues. Families have got a lot of issues. Kids in families don't do so well because they families don't know what to do with them. You know. And, and and so th- there's a lot. Young people are not doing well because they just don't fit in the system. Mm. Something has to change. Something has to change to accommodate them. So th- these are the things, you know, roughly, that are the problems uh, Sudanese families are facing or Sudanese communities in general.
1: Uh, tell us about racism. Hmm?
3: Uh, what do you mean?
1: <laughs> uh, like you said, like it was hard to fit in. Uh, can you tell us about more about
3: that? Well, um, I'll tell you one, one example <laughs> of uh, an experience of racism that I have had. Uh, I went to Sydney, and I, was, I went out uh, yeah. with some girls, okay? And we were sitting around the table having beers, okay? <laughs> and someone walks in, mm. and he said, like, two meters away from me, and, you know, I didn't notice So he just sat there and he was doing his thing, and you know we were just chatting, and this guy uh, was texting his friends and he was making faces at me, and I I just didn't realize because he's sitting there doing his things, Um, and then suddenly I realized this guy is making faces to me, and you know, and he makes gestures and stuff like that, and I just ignored it, Mm. and then my friends realized uh, this guy's pretty serious Mm. and so they had to call a cab taxi Mm. and as we walked out he actually walked up to us and one of the girls had to stand between me and him and then I had to run quickly into the taxi (laughs) and gone so you know I I didn't understand why anyone would want to attack me mm. you know it's it's, it's just I don't know
4: (laughs) Does, uh, so, does the Sudan? You said, you know, one of the one of the challenges, one of the several challenges of um, this facing the Sudanese community in terms of integration is, is racism. Are these uh, so are these experiences that are, are kind of felt throughout the wider community? They are, um, and 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 it's it's always
3: it's always related to what's happening uh, generally. Uh, for example. Uh, During the election campaign, um, there is a flyer that has been going around. And the flyer was to the effect that, you know, African today are refugees, but tomorrow are drug addicts and welfare parasite and that sort of thing. And then at the back of the flyer, there was uh, another piece that was saying Sudanese and Somalis are, you know, low IQ and recipe for trouble and stuff like that. That was very recent that was during the election campaign, mm-hmm. and this flyer was produced by a, a group that well it 's uh, unfortunately a political party that calls itself uh, australia first party mm. so so that that is real and this stuff has been distributed in um, i think uh, in the blue mountains um, so there are always occasions like this in two thousand and seven the last the the um, the election campaign before it the minister for immigration did come out and said they were deciding to cut down the number of african refugees and specifically sudanese and which was okay if, if government decide to change policy there's no problem with that but the when he was quizzed about it he said there were some communities that were not doing as well as they expected mm. who were were not integrating as fast as they were thinking of, uh, as they wanted to see, and they mentioned Sudanese. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, when when you have uh, people coming out like that, like the minister, and, you know, everybody else is justified to say, and after that, the media, of course, had the stories about Sudanese young people who were gangs, and which was, at the end, you know, mm-hmm. was investigated and it was all not true. Mm-hmm. So... Um,
1: like to Malawi and Malil? Have you ever experienced um, racism?
0: Uh, I don't think. How about you, Malawi?
2: Uh, no, not really. I don't think so. Not yet.
0: <laughs> not yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's
3: good then. That's good. Uh, if if you know you guys as kids who go to school don't see racism, I, I'm glad to hear that because uh, sometimes. I do feel that there is racism out there. And if you are not experiencing it, great. Mm -hmm.
2: What about you, Bull? Have you ever experienced
1: racism? Uh, A little bit, but not that much. It was the first time I came to Australia. Um, I didn't know English, so it was hard for me to fit in. Like, I didn't know what kids were saying. But then I got to a point where I could understand English, so I could hear what they were saying, uh, talking about, because I was different to all of them so they didn't accept me yeah they'd say names about it but then yeah I, I left I left that school and went to another school and then they accepted me better and then I learned more by English then I could speak made friends and then yeah I felt like an Australian <laughs> cool, yeah, cool. Right, well. Uh, we'll go to some music then we're we'll going thanks to Tim for coming for the interview thank you we're gonna be going to Kevin, is it? Steven. Steven, <laughs> Steven. sorry. Okay. Um, just Justin Timberlake, rock your butter. Hi guys, welcome back to Nine Eight Point Three. That was Justin Timberlake. I'm gonna interview interviewing uh, Steven. Hello. Thank goodness I got that right. Um, yeah. how don't can you? We're gonna mostly ask the same questions that
5: we as we ask him. But uh, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, my life's been a lot simpler than times I've got to say. <laughs> Uh, I grew up in Canberra,
1: mm-hmm.
5: um, but I've been around in Canberra for a long time. I remember when 2 X was a tiny little place at the ANU, and I've seen a, a lot of changes in Canberra and a lot of changes um, regarding the sort of people who live here as well. We've got much greater variety now, and it's much more interesting.
0: Mm. <laughs> So what are you doing in Canberra
5: now? I'm a teacher, as you know, Malwell, because I've taught you.
0: you. Uh (laughs) Um, I'm a high
5: school teacher now. How is it being a teacher? I like it, actually. Some days I think, what have I done? Because I changed recently to become a teacher. And uh, some some days when the kids are mucking up, I think, what in God's name have I done? (laughs) But days where it goes well and where the kids seem to learn something, I love it. So what do you teach? I teach SOS, which is... Uh, studies of so- uh, so- um sorry <laughs> society and environment and uh, that 's history and geography um, but I also get to teach some legal studies and we 've just started teaching philosophy mm. how um, long have you' been teaching just for a couple of years
1: oh. um did you choose to be a source teacher or was it some because you wanted to like help other people
5: well kind of I had a job uh, I've had several jobs in the past where I've helped people. That's part of what I've been doing, and particularly people who have difficulty in their lives. I worked for a community legal centre where we assisted people who had very little income and had gotten into legal trouble. And so for many years I'd help people to keep a roof over their head when they hadn't paid the rent. Um, Often they had problems like drug addictions and so on that made that very difficult for them. And after many years of doing that, I got... I sort of started to see it as not quite pointless, but a sort of band-aid solution to help people out of problem day after day. And I got this idea into my head that maybe if I could do something earlier on in their lives, I could help them to be better equipped mm. to live in our world and manage.
2: Was uh, Bill Conan High your first and only school?
5: Uh, that's right, yeah. yeah. Uh, what years do you like to teach? Uh In some ways, I love to teach Year 10 because they suddenly become interested in learning. (laughs) Uh, But I like all the kids. You know, they drive me crazy, but I do really like them. What did you do before teaching? Well, just before teaching, I was a member of the Social Security Appeals Tribunal, which meant that I got to uh, look at decisions that had been made by Centrelink about people's rights to a pension or whether they'd been paid too much and had to pay back huge amounts of money sometimes, tens of thousands of dollars. Mm. And we had the opportunity to, to change those decisions if we thought they were wrong. I did that for quite some years. And before that, I worked for uh, some politicians in the opposition, the then opposition. And uh, before that, I worked for a community legal centre. Cool. So what, uh, which, which politicians did you work for? I, I need okay. to be a bit careful what I say, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I worked for Jenny Macklin and then Wayne Swan okay. for a couple of years. Yeah, right. yeah. So in federal politics. In federal yeah. politics, that's right. Right, right. Yeah. And my, you know, my background, the legal background I have uh, is in social security law, mm-hmm. and so it's when each of those were the shadow ministers for social security. Oh,
4: yeah, right,
0: interesting. Yeah. Um, was it a dream to be a teacher? Uh,
5: no. <laughs> when I went to school, I think the opposite of Tam. I didn't appreciate the value of education. I didn't really appreciate the value of education until I went to university and suddenly fell in love with learning, particularly philosophy. I just loved it. And then it occurred to me that I could do that and not really be part of the real world. And so I made the horrible mistake of going and doing a law degree then. Uh, but it occurred to me some years ago that maybe I should become a teacher. Then this job at the tribunal came up, so I did that in between, and then I went back to that idea. And So it's an idea I've had for some years, so maybe a dream, but a dream late in life. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, uh, you, you said a Band-Aid solution before. But yeah. You
4: said uh, work, working as a, as a lawyer where you did, you said it was it was good but it wasn't kind of fixing the uh, you know problems that you saw as more, uh, I guess, you know, setting in earlier. That's but, right, yeah. And,
5: and do you think... I mean, can I could, just give you an example yeah, yeah. of why... I would make regular appearances at the then Magistrates Court, or it was the Magistrates Court at first, and then it became the Tenancy Tribunal, as you might know, uh, that part of the court that deals with tenancy matters. And you'd just have people with really serious life issues um, and inability to manage their finances, but also all sorts of social and other issues, and limited job prospects because of lack of education, who would go through this cycle of getting into trouble in their tenancy, being threatened with eviction. We would go and help them to keep their eviction on terms and under which they'd pay rent at a certain amount, plus the arrears and so on. And then things would be going along for a while, and then a few months later they'd be back again with the same problems. And sometimes you'd see the same person three times in a year or so. Um, why are you choose to teach those
0: instead of other subjects? Well, a
5: couple of reasons. One is because that's what my education is in that kind of field. In a way, I'm not trained in, I'm not sure I should say so. I'm not really trained in history or geography but but in, but in law and philosophy. And luckily, this school, I'm so pleased, let me teach that uh, because I love teaching that stuff. I think it's really helpful, particularly the legal stuff. It's helpful for people to understand the system mm. but, uh, so I'm not really trained to teach maths or science but the other thing is I just think it's really, really valuable. Some kids say, why should we do so, so what's the point? Well, it's really what helps you to deal with what you'll have to deal with in life, I think, more than any other.
1: Uh, you said you, you teach philosophy. Um, can you tell us what philosophy is?
5: Okay, I can try. Uh, philosophy is about questioning as much as anything else, but questioning everything. <laughs> you don't just question why your government made this decision. You question what what is government, how should government work right to the most basic level, and you question... Um, religion and belief, and you question belief in day-to-day things. I mean, it, it sounds strange, but you even question um, what, what is the world that's around us in a way that's different from the way science does it. Science makes assumptions. It says we assume there's a world out there, we assume that it works a certain way, let's explore it and have theories and test those theories. Philosophy questions theories, what are theories? It's the most basic, fundamental sort of questioning you can get.
1: Do you teach every year?
5: I teach 7, 8, 9 and 10. Why why did you do philosophy? I got interested in it. Uh, I don't know really. I guess it's a funny thing. Somebody told me about some famous ancient Greek paradoxes when I was 12 years old. (laughs) And uh, I don't think this is a place to go into them, but it made me think, oh, the world's just not this place I thought it was. It's strange and mysterious and... And I'd like to know more about that. Um, What do you like about Belcon (laughs) and High?
0: I'll
5: tell you what I like more than anything else. And other teachers might think I'm crazy, I don't know. I I do like the kids, I actually do. Mm. I think they're friendly and nice and they... When you see them learning something and they go, oh, so that's how it works, that just gives (laughs) me a buzz, I guess. Um,
1: so is your opinion the same as, if, as was your first day teaching?
5: Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I had a really rough first few weeks. I was given some classes with some um, issues, so there were fights in my classroom and things <laughs> being thrown about. And I think it's gotten a huge amount better since the beginning of last year. I think Bill Conlon's a nicer, high sp- a n- nicer place to be than it was. Was that mobile throwing the stuff around the classroom? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> When did, did you start at the beginning of last year, Mel? Um, yeah, term three. Yeah. Ah, oh, yes. I thought it was a little bit later.
0: Huh. Um, do you get too busy as a teacher sometimes?
5: Sometimes, absolutely. Particularly at the time when you have to mark everybody's exams, write reports, all that sort of thing. Yeah, it gets very busy at times. But then again, uh, there's holidays. You know, there's more holidays <laughs> than a lot of other jobs have. That's the truth of it.
2: Uh, yeah. Well, What's what is it like? Um, like having to mark like 800
5: assignments it's it's it depends a bit sometimes you read you know 10 assignments in a row and they're all much the same you can come on kids try to do something a bit different <laughs> and then you read one that really is different and you just go wow you know that they, they really surprise you kids just what they'll come up with things i didn't have never thought of um does teaching like take most of your time it takes a lot of time now it does but the other thing is that because I'm so new to it, yeah. I'm learning some of the subject matter that I haven't learned since high school, which is a long time ago for me. Mm. So I've had to relearn <clears throat> geography and history. I now, now know more geography and history than I ever did before. And, but, but once I've learned a lot of that stuff, and I've learned a lot of it now, it will start to get easier and easier.
1: So are, are you a homeroom teacher, or do you just do pathways?
5: It's a little bit different in our school. Mm-hmm. We all have a pastoral... Most of us have a pastoral care class,
1: mm-hmm. and
5: I have that. And we don't have a homeroom... We don't have a middle school program like you do at Gold Creek. Yeah. So um, basically everyone does, you know, has a SOS teacher and a maths teacher and an English teacher, a science teacher, like that.
1: And are you sometimes forced to teach other subjects?
5: Uh, not really. I, I'm asked to do relief lessons. That's part of the way it's structured at, at our school. So sometimes I'll be taking a science class... And but there'll be work set for them. Yeah. But because I'm interested in science, although I don't know an awful lot about it, I can't help getting involved.
2: <laughs> is it hard memorising all students' names?
5: Yes, it is, actually. But it's a funny thing, you get to know them. I, I, at first I was really worried and thought, I won't get to know kids' names and it'll be really awkward when I have to talk to them. But it's just funny how you just get to know them. <laughs> but it is difficult, you're right. <laughs> at first I used to bring photographs in, you know, the school photos, and memorise them and I'd look at them <laughs> like that, but I don't do that anymore. I don't think I need to.
0: Um, what advice do you want to give to a high school student how to be a teacher, like, when
5: they grow up? If they'd like to be a teacher when they grow up? Yeah. Well, you do need to do well enough at school to get into university, yeah. um, have a real interest in your subject, and understand why education is so important. I, I, just listening to Tam before... Uh, and I'm aware of this from other things, I think kids like us who grew up in a reasonably comfortable place like Canberra don't appreciate how important it is and how lucky we are. Kids who grew up and spent time in refugee camps without real opportunities for education seem to understand how important it is, and I think we just forget. Understand how important education is, is my advice. And you have to work hard.
1: Okay. thanks. Thanks. Very welcome. Oh. Uh, thanks, Stephen. Uh, we're going to go to some music you. now.
5: Okay.
0: Hi, I'm Alul. What's up, Ambu? Yeah, I'm Alual. This is the voice of Canberra Youth. And this is the voice of multicultural
2: youth.
1: The show about multiculturalism, diversity, sharing
2: experiences, and achieving
1: goals. Stay tuned for our wonderful interviews and good music for you to enjoy. You are
2: listening to the Multicultural Youth Programme on TUDOL FM. Live Thursday, 6 till 7 p.m. Ah, uh, yeah, these next few minutes, we have family and friends listening out, so we're going to talk. Ah, dinka. A bit language. We're not talking. Ah. Boo?
1: Go, go, go. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, I don't want to work at Tila Polakura, um, work um, at so, yeah. How about you, Tila Luilu? Uh, school, uh, two, school, two, two. Team? Uh, to Tugulu, not Huh? Tugulu, not Tupul. Ah, Tupul. Tugulu, you do know? Uh, St. Francis. Oh. Yeah, they got us. Are uh, they the blue guys? Like, uh. um, Ah, listen? i um all like ye mama. You got the rare, then the other he's a book a towel.
2: Yeah. Ah, uh, radio show can I appear because soonies <laughs> who, who come a and bentin, who Louis be be uh,
1: the like Facebook a it chanbi chan bin a tin in chan like balawok comment like the Manwake showdown out and yellow can a cut to Mm
2: da to the two
1: XM M Y my radio two yes, double my radio um yeah check a, a loy pay <laughs> but it's, a, it's a good training for you And it's fun Could give you some backup in, When you grow up into the future yeah, a good experience <laughs> Yeah Oh, uh, cool Go back yeah. to English
2: uh, Okay, English then
1: It's very hard to talk your own language <laughs> When you've been talking for a long time Not really <laughs> um,
4: So do you guys find that you're uh, You're, you're oh, forgetting your dinka at all?
2: No Ah uh. <laughs> Not really, because at home, that's all my mom
1: seems to speak, so...
4: Okay, and what, how about you, Bill?
1: Yeah, I speak it at home all the time. Yeah.
4: And what about you guys with your Farsi? Do you keep it up a lot?
1: Oh, well, I don't know. Danny's is non-existent, but, um...
4: <laughs>
5: yeah, my dad never spoke Persian around the house. I don't learn it, but Gali seems to understand...
1: Farsi. I understand, like my main thing I think as to why I'm so bad at Farsi is I'm embarrassed by my accent, like it's really bad, let alone in English, let alone in Farsi, so
4: yeah,
1: yeah I kind of sound like a Persian cowboy <laughs> when I speak Farsi.
4: And what about you guys, do you guys have accents?
1: Nah. No, I, my voice is just deep, my voice <laughs> is, my voice is... <laughs> big man.
4: <laughs> and is it important to your, uh, to your cultural identity? for you golly you know speaking farsi
1: um i think it's well i have never been to iran and you know i i grew up in papua new guinea so my experience um with farsi has been really li- like with iran has been really limited in general because i've never been i mean um as you know like the baha'is aren't yeah treated the best in iran so yeah, yeah, yeah. i haven't been
4: so yeah. so language is important then
1: yeah. yeah, language is... It is important, I think, just because when you meet other Persians, they're so obsessed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you speak
2: the yeah. language or not. And
4: what about for you, Marla?
2: For me? Yeah. Oh What do you mean, for me? Well, I
4: mean, is it important... Like, you know, to, for you, is it important to be able to speak the language, to be able to to uh, to you know, to be able to identify with your, your mum and your cousins? and your Oh,
2: definitely, and, definitely. Because yeah. you would just meet a random Sudanese in the street and start talking.
1: Yeah. And it's easier, like, when you go back to Africa... Not all of them speak English, so if you speak English, they might know, they will not know what you guys are talking about.
0: Oh.
1: Yeah. And that's the end of the show, Um, the Macedonian show. It's after this. Uh, We're going to go to some music. And thanks, guys, for coming in.
4: Thanks for having us.